Welcome to the Earth Wants You. I'm Savitri D here with Reverend Billy in Brooklyn, New York on a cold, rainy day, pre-election Monday. Hey man, it's enough to give, give the blues, I guess. Yeah, kind of oh. just want to stay in bed. Like a blue wave. Yeah. Of, yeah. of millennial people who are not afraid of socialism and vote, right. vote Trump out. But you know what's interesting? I don't know anyone who actually says I'm a socialist when they ask them about their politics, do you? No, socialism is like a a ghost that flickers around. It's a ghost, Ghost. a ghostly experience. Yes, socialism is just not very... In the United States, at least, it's not very... You've got Halloween on your There's no ghost. No, I believe in ghosts. I believe in socialism. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, check it out. It's the end of the world. Now, people, we're addicted to this, uh, this horse race of an election, and watching and listening to people get way into the minutiae, the d- d- details of the details. Uh, like, like It's like hey, sports. You know it's what like it reminds sports. me of? Actually, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the way people talk about the earth, the way they get into parts per million and all this minutiae and this data and the data and more data and more data. And you know what? It turns out it's much simpler than that, people. Well, the it's but this is the, how we relate the to earth things. cultures keep it keep it right. This oh, is how we relate to things. I'm pounding my fist on the table like we relate through data now, and that is just like the that's what we do in this time and place. And and un, some of it's probably good. I mean, because you know it dispenses with, uh, the, well, all kinds of fantasies that people have about reality. I'm not going to say what they are, but data can help. Silicon you know. Valley made it much worse. It, it exasperated that that disease. But I think it's tyrannical. Um, I think what happens is if people details. become paralyzed, they're just overwhelmed by numbers and materials and information. And then when you propose something simple to them like, hey, stop shopping, they're like, stop shopping. Well, I could never stop Let's shopping. Let's remember that we're right? the church of stop shopping. This is the church of stop shopping. We're proposing that the problem is consumerism and that's nothing that, that commercial politics ever right. discusses. And we see that with the election. We see that with climate change, the flaccid muscles of citizenship, yeah. right? We see the absolutely untested strength of our uh, resolve and force and will as humans, as a species on earth. We are reduced to our role as consumers. Stop shopping, people. Stop shopping. It is the end of the world. Listen to the choir. It's the end of the world. Yes, let's not. Yep, yep. We have that song right here. It's our theme song. But let's listen to the whole thing. We have to remind ourselves.
only cloud. Only sand falls down on empty ground. Empty ground. This is an obscure reference Ooh. to both King Lear and Waiting for Godot by myself, Savitri D. So no, no, no. That's Salvador you, Dali would, no, no. wrote then. If you can give me the two references in this song. You will get the award. I'll you will get you the prize. A hundred dollars. hundred bucks. Listen to me. You don't have that it's money. It's time for the news. And let me tell you, it's bad news today. News from the natural world coming to you. Turn off your radios. Don't get depressed. Here comes the news from the natural world. Hello, listeners. I'm Savitri D with news of the natural world. A plan to create the world's largest marine sanctuary in Antarctic waters has failed. The proposed sanctuary, some five times the size of Germany, would ban fishing in a vast area in the Weddell Sea, protecting key species including seals, penguins, and whales. Consensus is needed from all 24 members of the Commission for the Conservation of Antarctic Marine Living Resources and the European Union. Environmental groups say Russia and China, whose concerns over compliance issues and fishing rights have proved key stumbling blocks in the past, along with Norway and whale hunting, played a part in rejecting the plan. A report released this week by the Environmental Data and Governance Initiative reveals that the removal of climate change information from the EPA website is set to be a long-term policy of the Trump administration. Go check. See if you can find any references, people. It's another game. <sighs> Greenhouse gases are increasingly disrupting the jet stream, a powerful river of winds that steers weather systems in the northern hemisphere. That's causing more frequent summer droughts, floods, and wildfires. The findings suggest that summers like 2018, when the jet stream drove extreme weather on an unprecedented scale across the northern hemisphere, will be 50% more frequent by the end of the century with emissions of carbon dioxide and other climate pollutants from industry, agricultural, and the burning of fossil fuels continue at a high rate. The Supreme Court rejected the Trump's administration's... I'm going back. The Supreme Court rejected the Trump administration's request Friday to stop a lawsuit brought by youth who are seeking to hold the government accountable for failing to do enough to fight climate change. The administration had asked the court to halt the lawsuit saying it was, quote, misguided and, quote, a radical invasion of the separation of powers. The challengers argued that by neglecting to properly address climate change, the government is depriving them of rights to life, liberty, and property, while also failing to protect essential resources. Wait a minute, is Brett Kavanaugh on the court at this time? He is, but this is a, a positive ruling, actually. Palau is set to become the first country to impose a widespread ban on sunscreen in an effort to protect its vulnerable coral reefs. The government has signed a law that restricts the sale and use of sunscreen and skincare products that contain a, t a list of 10 different chemicals. Researchers believe that these ingredients are highly toxic to marine life and can make coral more susceptible to bleaching. It has been estimated that between 6 and 14,000 tons of sunscreen wash off people and go into reef areas every year. It's a lot of sunscreen. Hmm. Carbon emissions are acidifying the ocean so quickly that the seafloor is disintegrating. Great. <laughs> Man, I'm just going to... That's a hell of a news item. I'm just going to move on. That, I'm that, moving on, people. You're not going to even... I'm not going into that. It's too heavy. Okay, the pharmaceutical giant Merck and Company is ending a long-term agreement to supply a life-saving vaccine for children in West Africa. 
At the same time, the company has started sending the vaccine to China, where it will likely be sold for a much higher price. The vaccine is for a deadly form of diarrhea called rotavirus, which kills about 200,000 young children and babies each year. And as a mother, I will tell you, when your child gets sick in this particular way, it is terrifying. And I live in New York City with hospitals very close by. Iranian regime's prosecutors have charged four conservationists with, quote, sowing corruption on earth, a crime that carries the death sentence in the Islamic Republic. The environmentalists were carrying out scientific monitoring of endangered species, including the Asiatic cheetah. The Persian Wildlife Heritage Foundation workers were arrested in January on suspicion of espionage. The Revolutionary Guard's Corps accused them of using their camera traps to spy on the country's ballistic missile program. Camera traps oh were intended God. to monitor the rare Asiatic cheetahs and other wildlife. That sounds a lot like the way that the government and paramilitaries talked about Standing Rock. They call, right. called the Earth Culture people there, the Dakota and so forth, called them jihadists. Terrorists, mm -hmm. yeah. In Russia, 12 killer whales and 90 beluga whales have been captured from the wild over the summer due to the demand from marine parks around the world. The price of a single untrained killer whale is over a million dollars, which let me tell you is not nearly enough. That is a priceless creature. Okay, again, moving on. A century ago, only 15% of the Earth's surface was used by humans to grow crops and raise livestock. Today, more than 77% of land excluding Antarctica, and 87% of the ocean has been modified by the direct effect of human activities. It might be hard to believe, but between 1993 and 2009, an area of terrestrial wilderness larger than India was lost to human settlement, farming, mining, and other pressures. And in the ocean, the only regions that are free of industrial fishing, pollution, and shipping are almost completely confined to the polar regions. <coughs> Demand for pit Bitcoin, demand for Bitcoin could single-handedly derail efforts to limit global warming because the increasingly popular digital currency takes huge amounts of energy to produce. Producing a Bitcoin at a pace with growing demand could, by 2033, defeat the aim of limiting global warming to 2 degrees Celsius. Almost 200 nations agreed in Paris in 2015 on the goal to keep warming to well below a rise of 2 degrees Celsius. But mining, bit mining the process of producing bitcoins by solving mathematical equations uses high-powered computers and a lot of electricity. Okay. In a recent pilot study that includes interviews with randomly selected low-income women, 10% of participants reported being sexually harassed by their landlords. The harassment included being asked to trade sex for rent, lewd comments, home invasions, and indecent exposure. The women were almost all in their 20s when the incidents occurred, and they were disproportionately likely to be minorities. <sighs> okay, the good guys in superhero films engage in more violent acts on average than the villains. The researchers who released the study tallied an average of 23 acts of violence per hour associated with the film's protagonists, also known as heroes, compared with 18 <laughs> violent acts per hour for the antagonists also known as villains. The researchers also <laughs> found the film showed male characters in nearly five times as many violent acts, 34 per hour, oh, than surprising. female characters who were engaged in an average of seven violent acts per hour. But the question is, do they have the first strike capacity? Do they go first? Okay. That's the, that's the question. That is a good question. 
Now, peace, real peace people would say that doesn't matter. If you, like, go into that violent dance, then it just becomes back and forth, yeah. violence back and forth, and there is no first, because... No, no. And We're nonviolent pacifists. I mean, ahimsa, right? The love struggle, right? That, that's what we practice, love struggle, okay? It doesn't mean there's no conflict, but it means, yeah, it means there's no violence. There's no hitting back, sorry. So you just have to duck. Or be a duck. Yeah, a big hug. A big hug. <laughs> a big That'll hug. do it. Hug them. Oh, that's <laughs> when right. Your landlord's, hug them. When your landlord's in your house, like, sexually harassing you or at, telling you you can pay your rent by having sex with them, just give them a hug. Don't involve the <laughs> genitals, just the shoulders. And Well, oh I think that hugs might, m- hugs might save the endangered species if we have armies of huggers that just, like, launch against the ExxonMobil yeah. executives. Just, like, go into those skyscrapers and just hug those suits. Well, let me... I, no? I, 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 there's what does the mega ch- church think of this proposal? Silly. I, w- I want to hear from I think you. It's a silly proposal, and I want to I tell you all, listeners, that it was very hard to find good news for you, but... There is some good news. Let's hear it. Scientists have finally made a, a causal link. They've found a causal link between eating organic food and reducing cancer, which is good news. I think it's good news because it, it promotes organic food. And why do we want more organic food on the planet? Is it so that we won't get cancer? Well, that's part of it. But mainly it's because... Agricultural runoff is killing animals, insects, ruining water. All the GMO. All of it is just so pes- toxic pesticides. and bad. Uh, it's just industrial agriculture. Now, I'm not saying I want a, a raspberry from Chile in January, okay? That's not organic either in my book. But I am saying that really establishing these links between health and organic food will help the planet. So... But we now we have to we have to have a, a regard for the the intuitive politics that the compassionate intuition that many many people had before this proof came. Yeah, common came sense. We call that common sense. <laughs> what? Oh yeah, it turns out drenching the earth in pesticides is uh, bad for the earth and also bad for the food growing I'd like to have through the pesticides. Sense. I'd like to have common sense someday. Someday I can dream. But li- like, give me an example. Okay. Neil Young and, and Willie Nelson started Farm Aid right. back, way back. Right. Early 80s or something. Right. And they didn't have the research at that point no. th- about the extent to which industrial corporate farming drives climate change, but they did intuit that destroying the family farm is not a good thing. They felt the suffering of the people that were being driven off the, their ancestral land by... Uh, you know the hedge funds of the day and so forth. They just intuited. Let's let's help these families. Well, let's just be clear, and, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but the ancestral land of an American farmer. Oh no, no, is a Native American. Native Americans too. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm I'm. I'm and a, Willie Nelson and Neil Young have always gone to bat for our Native Americans. But respect the treaties. Right. Respect the treaties. Right. I mean, the, the the impulse to to scale things down, right? Is it, that's common sense, right? To to see what you know and know what you see, right? To not to not create systems that are so big that you don't see the edges of mm-hmm. them. To know all your employees, for instance, like you run a business and you know everyone who works there. It's a very different kind of business than when you don't. 
right? And it's run a very different way. Mm-hmm. So that's common sense too. Um, can we have only that scale of farming? Can we have only that scale of, of business? Well, possibly not. I mean, there are systems that probably need to be huge, like the post office maybe. But you're, you're reduced <laughs> but. to policies, to issues, to data, and generalizations that don't hold up. I mean, that, that are not like meeting someone in person and making a decision that, that might mm-hmm. be good for both of you. And I'd like to, I'd like to take this opportunity. Oh, I'm pounding the table again, Savdri. I need a pulpit. I need, I need to preach my radio show from a pulpit. Amen. Mm-hmm. I'd like to go straight. I'd like to segue to gentrification. Now, we have made a decision to bring back, we asked ourselves, what is the antidote for this treatment of this election, which is so much like sporting a sporting event when the problems are so much deeper, amen, even though we want Trump stopped and we want Stacey Abrams to win in Georgia and yes, so forth, but, <laughs> but we are the Church of Stop Shopping and, and consumption calls for a quasi-religious transformation in human society. I'm <laughs> quoting some famous philosopher. Yeah, Paul Ehrlich, I think. <laughs> Paul and Anne Ehrlich, authors of The Population Bomb. So we have in New York and in all of our cities, we have wonderful people working against the conversion of our lives into mono, the monoculture, into the urban version of industrial agriculture. Just everything becomes, uh, you know. Colonized, yeah colonized by hedge fund Mm -hmm. algorithms we are all a source of extraction we are we are only our extractive potential we exist as a a means to someone else's profit essentially so we asked ourselves what interview would like we would we like to bring back for you just especially for the midterm elections in 2018 and we lit upon our interview of amani henry right of Brooklyn Action Network, who his talk about how to oppose and stand down and repel the advance of New York real estate moguls, of which Donald Trump has won, amen, there's the tie-in with the election, uh, it's just an amazing thing to listen well, to. Well, and I think most importantly, Imani teaches us that no matter what is going on, you have to do the work. And you have to get out there with your body and with people you know or don't know, but you need to be out there in reality. Oh, yes. Like all social right. change movements, it's it's got to be physical. It's got to be you. Imani teaches it's us to be, be more there. radical, to be stronger, to be less apologetic, to make more space for our rage and our intensity, and above all, to really understand uh, that Black Lives Matter. And this is The Earth Wants You in lovely downtown Brooklyn, New York. And we will now go to that interview. Uh, when was that? This spring, I believe, with Amani Henry from Brooklyn Action Network. Uh, we know gentrification is an issue, not just in New York City, but all over the country and indeed all over the world. Uh, if you go to the West Coast, you can see people living in tent cities under bridges. If you go to Europe, you see people gathered on the edges of cities. Uh, gentrification is a, is a growing issue. Uh, it's only going to get harder and worse. And we are 
really happy today to have Imani Henry, who is leading the charge against gentrification in Brooklyn, the, the founder of Equality for Flatbush, and uh, the, the work they did at Equality for Flatbush sort of inspired the work of the Brooklyn Anti-Gentrification Network, which is a, a, a larger body. Um, Imani Henry uh, describes the intersectional set of crises confronting the working class black and brown residents of Flatbush, Crown Heights, and really all of Brooklyn, and, and I, I think we could safely say m many other places as well. Uh, ban fights to stop rampant corporate gentrification that is causing displacement. It is that basic. And Imani Henry, thank you so much for coming down hey. today. Thank you for having Welcome. me. Let's talk about Brooklyn a little bit. You know, I mean, what's happening in Brooklyn? You know, we've done a lot of work against big rezones in the past, and I know the city's learned a little bit of a lesson about how to like about how to like make the rezone a little bit smaller so people don't notice. Can you talk a little bit about what's going up by on by up by the Brooklyn Botanical Garden? Why don't you? So the the and I and you know I I want to be you know very very clear that the the beauty of Ban uh, Brooklyn Anti Gentrification Network we we initiated Quality Flatbush initiated this sort of call to action of all the different groups that are uh, working in their neighborhoods so Sunset Park or. Um, you know, Crown Heights or Bushwick or where, what have you, and and ask for folks to like, can we all try to work together? Of course, um, in a way to like be you know a fist mm -hmm. against the uh, the you know this plague of, of rezonings and and um, that are going on you know in Brooklyn and in general. So, you know, Alicia Boyd, who is the leader of Movement to Protect the People, is spearheading you know. Uh, the, the this uh, struggle against rezoning, she actually has become, you know, a figure in the in in New York as leading one of the most successful anti-rezoning mm -hmm. struggles, um, particularly the the rezoning, you know, the attempt to rezone Empire Boulevard, which is on the border of Flatbush and Crown Heights, and so now she she's helped to organize <laughs> a group called Flower Lovers Against. Um, <laughs> Corruption, right. flack, and <laughs> and they, um, you know, again, Crown Heights residents, and I want to say largely black women, um, you know, and and white women, uh, you know, this is their woman-led movement, and and particularly, you know, they have talked about what is common sense to all of us, the fact that if you want to build huge, um, storied high rises around the botanical garden and sort of use this as like, wow, you're going to have this view of the botanical gardens. The, the understanding is that you're going to like devastate and destroy because you're gonna block out all the sunlight. It's such a yeah, common so sense obvious. thing. <laughs> so obvious. And I forget, I please don't quote me, I forget like, and I think within like four or five days, they accumulated thousands of signatures yeah. of people just saying like, of course, this is a ridiculous thing. And they were able to beat back that initial um, plan of the developer. But still on Franklin Avenue, there is like a rezoning that's happening to then bring in to, you know, to again, around the botanical gardens to bring in this particular, this um, possible, um, you know, building of a yet another high rise. It's about six or seven stories, but still, like it is still the understanding that it'd be surrounding. Yeah, and it opens up the door, right? Exactly. For all those other things that happen, right? Exactly. So that the, they, again, you know, Community Board 9, and again, Alicia Boyd is, you know, the, the person, one of the people that is in leadership of this, has done a lot of work to expose Community Board 9 
when we, you know, first started, like back in 2014, you know, it was just about like, you know, there were, um, you know, there were various folks that were problematic, that they were in the in league with the real estate, you know, industry, like maybe they work for a developer. Now at this point, the actual chair of Community Board 9 is a lobbyist of, you know, it is, <laughs> it is, and, and we, you know, like. They don't have to hide it anymore. Exactly, <laughs> and and she's been, she is, she is sued, you know, the borough president, she's sued ver various forces, she's pushed and gotten many people off of the community board, but that's the, I mean, that we even as, as community members, that she even has to spend all of this time to state the obvious. These folks are not in the best interest of our community. Right, so community board members are appointed, not elected exactly. in New York, which is a real problem, right? If exactly. They don't actually speak for the community. They are not serving a constituency, right? No, they, and even more so, they don't have, so I wanna be clear, the community, the, the understanding of a community board, the, its origins did come from a more, um, progressive place of where wanting to have community, you know, these are community residents, you know, the understanding that they would, um, you know, have the best interests of the community at heart. Definitely there are community boards that still have that as a mm -hmm. function. That's, I want to make that very clear. At the same time, yes, they're appointed by the borough president. Our borough president happens to be pro-gentrification, along with a lot of the elected officials. Mm -hmm. There is a percentage of the community board that's recommended from your, um, you know, from your uh, a city council person. So that's part of the piece of it. They have no veto power, and that's really what the major right. problem is. When the mayor's plan came down, what is this, uh, 2016? When the the housing plan came down. All the community boards had said no. They, they, and and the mayor, you know, De Blasio made it very clear. Well, you have no veto power. Right. So when all the community boards said no, we don't want MH housing. No, we don't want this plan that just opens up all these rezonings. This they did. They did right by the community. They did the right thing. Right. And the mayor said, well, you don't have any veto power. So so what? So they only can recommend things to the mayor and the city council. Mm -hmm. They can only say we think it would be better if we did this for our community. Right. But they don't actually have any power. And that's why ban actually that was one of our our, our, our you know whose community um, you know campaign specifically was about. You know, we, I don't want to pretend that we have like all the answers, but we said one, the appointed situation is not working for us, and that's why we're in this problem in the first place. And two, that they have no veto power. Mm -hmm. So what's the point of mm -hmm. a community board that can't stop? Mm -hmm. You know, what is like this devastating thing that that we're we're now up to eighty eight thousand people in the shelter system, and part of that is about the fact that they are like completely displacing people from our communities in the in the in the pursuit of luxury high rise development that doesn't that's eighty percent, you know, you know, and again even the twenty percent affordable you know, they, I, I always like to Whatever. quote this, 25% of the families in New York City make under $25,000 a year. They're not in the mayor's plan. No. They're God, not no. even in the no. mayor's plan. They're just forgotten. They are. Exactly. Let me ask you what, what relationship there might be between uh, gentrification and uh, police brutality. We, we make a really clear di uh, direct link. And that ban also, um, at our very beginning, had groups, you know, for instance, Quality for Flatbush, we, we've always made that link. That's part of our work. We're the police accountability group for Flatbush East Flatbush. But also that there were police accountability groups, El Grito, um, Cop Watch teams also were part of the initial formation mm -hmm. of ban for that reason. Mm -hmm. and, and still to this day, that has been like, that is sort of a deciding factor for us. We, you know, our marches are, you know, we did a, last year a Brooklyn-wide march 
against gentrification, racism, and police violence. Like we make those distinctions every day mm -hmm. because exactly one, in 2012, there were lots of statistical data that ca first came out about linking gentrifying, gentrifying neighborhoods and um, at that point, step and frisk. Yeah. And really looking at the, the, the hotbeds of like Crown Heights or Bed-Stuy, oh, Flatbush, yeah. you know, the, the, at this point in time, there is a clear understanding about, you know, we don't even use the word over-policing. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, the occupation, the, 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 the increased occupation of our communities and gentrifying um, places that are gentrified or even the fact that in neighborhoods like Park Slope that have been gentrified, you find less no police. cops. Exactly. And that it's almost like a, there's almost a free-for-all if you are around in a neighborhood, um, you know, like Park Slope, even some sections of Bed-Stuy, on the weekend, you kind of see that there is sort of like open containers yeah. and you know clocking yeah for people sure. can drink on this you know people drink on we we there's a whole like sort of meme or something about white people drinking on the subway or <laughs> or smoking on subway platforms because again things and, and again they're they're sending heli helicopters in the sky for a young person black young person 16 years old that you know does you know you know doesn't pay their fare um, on the subway, and we talk about this, this is why Swipe It Forward is such a big campaign, it is our neighborhoods that are under siege, that there is an understanding that undocumented people are being particularly targeted mm. by the police well, around fare evasion, around, mm. you know, like uh, driving violations, all of these things are happening in our neighborhoods, and again, we're in our, the, our neighborhoods are the neighborhoods that are rapidly gentrifying. You know, it's it's such a... It's such an important sort of piece to really talk about all these connections because something like not paying your fare if you're undocumented is something that's deportable. Yep. That's theft of service. Parking tickets. Parking I mean, tickets. Nothing's minor enough to get ice all over the all over you. You know, you, you they'll knock on your door and take your father away if he uh, didn't pay his parking tickets seven or eight years ago. Absolutely. We have a member of our choir who whose neighbor in Jersey City had that happen to him. Absolutely. He couldn't remember the parking tickets. It didn't matter what he could remember. The, the computer, right or wrong, you know, the computer might have been wrong. But, he, you know, he's going to get flown back to Columbia uh, uh, because the com computer remembered his history in a particular way. Right. There's no cross-examination. There's no... You know, we'll have an independent investigation of that computer's memory. So it's clear that uh, segregation is the is the key to this kind of control, right? Like if they keep the neighborhoods and the community segregated, they can do this, right? They can keep doing this. Is desegregation possible? Like how can we do it? How can we do it? How can we unfold that so that we're living amongst so that you can't have like a park slope where there's no cops and people do whatever they want and and you can't have you know state sanctioned violence every minute of every day in east new york how do we undo that so i'm i am i am originally from boston so i want to be careful about the word segregation right um because i i did grow up in a segregated right. city i i wouldn't call new york and i because I, I also want to be really clear, Park Slope, which is a, a place that I love, and I kind of it was a place I worked and loved. I just the, yesterday was the 25th anniversary of Brooklyn um, Brooklyn um, oh, Arts Exchange. Oh, Arts yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm a former you know artist and resident. I mean, I want to be very clear. Park Slope is you know historically been a Latinx yes. and Black. I mean, our project before it's gone, take it back. We were documenting Black churches that in Park Slope. Yep. So I want to be really clear, like Park Slope that. 
I remember from 1990s mm. was a vibrantly diverse, yeah. particularly Latinx, Black, Jewish, Irish, mm -hmm. you know, community. And I think gentrification is what's segregating New York City yes. because it is pushing what I mean we talk about it being white supremacy we talk about the gentrification is like you know ethnic cleansing because the truth of the matter is they're making more white more affluent cities that that uh, that we can talk about the Latinx population of both Bushwick and Williamsburg has decreased. That, but for Stuyvesant and Harlem's the black population has decreased. And that's what they're, and again, what is being replaced is more wealthier people. I want to even be clear about Williamsburg because again, it's, it's a cautionary tale. They've had four, maybe five rezonings. Yes. You know, in, in Williamsburg, which went from like the place that like, you know, sort of white, young hipstery movement kind of could live there to like luxury high rises right. where no one in 10 years yeah right mm -hmm. can afford to live there Williamsburg I mean all that that was fun and cute for people to sort of say like Williamsburg is it it's besides the club <laughs> scene people can't live in Williamsburg Not at all. anymore it has now become like where Wall Street lives mm -hmm. I remember in Dumbo there was this one real estate guy who approached kind of our our group of people, our crowd, and he was putting artists into his, you know, converted six-story loft thing, and he was putting us in there with two-year leases, right? You remember this? Malentis, and the yeah, he still does it all the time, yeah. Oh, he's still doing it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> What's his name? It's Walentis, I think. It's it's two trees, or the, yeah, the, you know. He knew, he he knew, and he could actually schedule with the with with the way that he rented out his 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 properties. He knew well, the artists will be here for mm -hmm. two years, and then, you know, the twenty eight year old millionaires from Ohio, those kids that come from somewhere. They're, we'll be ready for them. They'll be ready to. We well, can I remember the the, the Williamsburg rezone the artists in there first in two thousand and four. You know, and, and there was a the fight against that was really strong, right? right? But it was also instantly racialized, which I thought was like strategic, obviously, on the part of the city and the part of the of real estate. And that's what they do. They figure out a way. It was the same at Coney Island when we worked against that rezone. You know, it, they have really good racializing skills. You know, they 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 pit communities against each other. Um, they 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 confuse and it happened here in, in downtown Brooklyn as well. We know that this is a tool of gentrification, right? And I want to know, like from you, because I feel like you you are really a leader in this more than anyone I can think of right now in New York. Like, how do we undo that? How do we talk uh, uh, above that, around that? How do we get through that racializing so that we can work together? Well, I think that's the whole piece of it. We, I mean, our our. This is, I, you know, I want to be really clear. Like, we don't negotiate with the city. The, the way that we've been successful is that we drive them out. Right. And so the last rezoning struggle with Williamsburg, we, we publicized the fact that the elected, I forget, I'm so sorry, I don't remember the elected's name, was on a bullhorn <laughs> telling the developers, get out. Mm -hmm. And that's how we were able to not have Empire Boulevard. We shut down yep. those meetings. When you engage and mm, everyone mm. is starting to talk Direct about Direct action. It, right. Every time they, they want to do the city, the, the city wants to have a plan, we say, no. You, if they have the meeting, that's what the problem is. We never asked for our neighborhoods to be rezoned. 
Right. We don't want the rezoning. That's right. If we say it from the very beginning, no, mm-hmm. get out. Mm-hmm. We're not going to see this happen in our neighborhood. That's how we've been successful. Mm-hmm. And now, that, because people think that they can engage. And it was so good, the Bushwick rezoning, we also have our families out there fighting that. That, that you know, the head of you know a DCP was like, you know, we're not really interested. We don't really care if you all are displaced. Now, what does DCP the stand Department for? Department of City Planning, uh-huh. mm-hmm. which right. is really like again, this is uh, people think that this is some that their goal was to quote unquote sort of do these studies to you know help neighborhoods. We're clear that they're the ones that have a very racist understanding. Our signs say, ban signs said, stop your racist planning. Yes, rezonings Ooh. are only happening in neighborhoods, and this is I think this is the piece of it. Bensonhurst is one of the last neighborhoods to go through a downzoning, which means like you know that the keeping the neighborhood at mm-hmm. its like quaintest, most like yeah, um, two three stories, exactly like Bay Ridge, yeah, yeah. exactly mm-hmm. Bay Ridge, Bensonhurst, Park Slope, yeah. mm-hmm. all of the neighborhoods of color. I mean, I, I hear Tom and Gotti, who's like you know one of the progressive yeah, city planners, mm-hmm. talking about it's only happening in neighborhoods of color. So again, like I think it's very important the racialization. It's racism. Let's yep. just call it yes. what it is. It's racism. It's happening and targeting communities of color. Well, low income, low to middle income, because again, it affects homeowners. And they do the divide and conquer based on class, based on race. That you're a homeowner versus someone that lives in like mm-hmm. affordable housing mm-hmm. in, a, in its rent stabilized housing, and 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 doing these divide and conquer. And it's so beautiful. Like M Top, particularly our homeowners that are saying, get out. Just go. Because again, all of our property taxes, we were doing, Ban is doing a whole thing about everybody's property taxes have gone up. <sighs> yeah. Everybody's. Now to MTOP again, a movement to protect the people. Mm. There you go. Yes. Talking to our people movement out there in Ohio the and Arizona and New Mexico that might not know our lingo here. Movement mm-hmm. to protect the people. Well, I want to put in a final, when you look out at, at this violence, it's coming in from so many directions. Is there a kind of meta politics that we have yet to discover? Is there a a peace movement that that we have to get to that we haven't quite stepped into yet. Have response to that well, question? I I I tend to be um, you know so my politics um, tend to be based in a, a, an understanding of love for community and for people. I am you know it's an interesting piece like I want to always go with the understanding that we have been in a long struggle of organizing um, and we do need to take it to the next level. I don't know if we're in a place of ready for peace as yet because I think there's so much anger and rage that we have not tapped into. Mm -hmm. We've been told to suppress our rage. I I think Mm. about even in the anti-gentrification movement that the places that are most successful right now beating back gentrification are the folks that have said from the very beginning, don't come here. And that's out in L.A., defend Boyle Heights. We love them. We have, um, you know, Chicago resists. Mm -hmm. I think we need to, we say we need to build a, a Brooklyn you know, anti-gentrification resistance movement. Yes. And I also feel like that's the piece of it. Like the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, you know, again, is like, I mean, it's been a fierce and amazing. And I talk about this all the time. Like we need to start thinking about occupying our homes. Yes. We need to start thinking occupying about- Occupying our homes. Occupying our homes, you know, uh, that, that we need to like- wow. 
the occupying the, the you you want to build in this neighborhood okay well this is the bodies of people yes. that are not going to allow you these bulldozers will not come mm. we need to think about standing rock yes. where people put their bodies on the line yes. and said no yes. there's a pipeline project could you just mention Coney Island that's coming right to to New York yep. coming to New York New Jersey and we need to really think about like are we ready by any means necessary yes. to stop the destruction of New York City. Amen. So that's that's that's, and I think that's and a that, love, is that, that is peace. That is loving. Peace. Yes, that, that, is, that peace. is love. Thank you, Imani Henry. Thank you, Imani. Leading the way. Thank you so much for your work. You're preaching there. <laughs> Honored to have you with us today. <laughs> Honored to have you with us today. And don't forget Wednesday night, Columbus Circle, Stefan Clark, seven p.m. Come out. Sh- Bring your body, bring your whole body, bring a friend, bring three friends. And if you can't come, send five in your place. We've got to fill up those streets. It is time, and it has been time for so long. Extinction's got talent. We, we turn to Iran, the Asiatic cheetah, remaining only in Persia. The Asiatic cheetah is slightly smaller and paler than its African cousin. It has a fawn-colored coat with black spots on its head and neck and distinctive black tear marks running from the corner of each eye down the side of its nose. Cheetahs are the fastest land animals on Earth, using their speed to bring down antelope, gazelle, and other moderately large prey. Asiatic cheetahs were once widespread across the continent, but were eradicated in India, where they were hunted for sport. The spread of farming has also greatly reduced numbers in the last two centuries. Eventually, the animal was wiped out in all of the nations of Asia to which it was once native, with the exception of a few areas of Iran. The Asiatic cheetah diverged from the cheetah population in Africa between 32,000 and 67,000 years ago. During the British colonial times in India, it was called a hunting leopard, a name derived from the ones that were kept in captivity in large numbers by Indian royalty to use for hunting wild antelope. And hear the sound, which will surprise you, of the Asiatic cheetah. I expected a growl. I know, isn't uh, it? They do purr and also meow a little more like a house cat, but this is their most distinctive sound, this little chirp. Sounds like a bird almost. Amen. So the conservationists amen. I mentioned in the news who are facing the death penalty, this is one of the animals they've done so much to save. Their all-night cameras, their trap yeah. cameras were uh, yeah. ca- capturing... Yeah. these cheetahs there are at least we know 50 of these cheetahs in the wild at this point um and there is a captive breeding program to keep them out there but they get hit by cars a lot in iran so i don't know if you can imagine that listeners the dri- fastest animal in the world getting hit along. by a car like how what a tragedy oh the irony is billy sad we need you today it's such a sad day well i would like to um, say goodbye now with, with a sermon, with a, 
with a few thoughts that come to me from, from today's um, Earth Wants You. The Earth wants us to have love. The Earth wants us to survive, to live, and expects us to live through a kind of adroit, vivid, active love. Not a sentimental love, not a Hallmark card love. Uh, the kind of love that makes it possible for us to live through our day with a certain grace and to forgive um, people who may have been clumsy or in some way um, inappropriate or violent, to find a way to respond that brings that, that person to love. Well, now we have, we have American commercial politics. And as we said, we, we hope for the best for some of these candidates, and especially we hope to have a stop, a backstop, for uh, the advance of the fascists uh, with a capture of the House. We hope that a few of the people that win in the House uh, have worked with, you know, Alexandria Ocasio and Bernie Sanders and some, some of the people who have some compassion for, for our fellow humans for, and for the Earth. But the um, commercial politics in the United States is a horse race. It's a sporting event. It is lost in the details and the data of the nerds who follow this stuff and the algorithmic com computers that guide us. And um, the news starts becoming not about climate change at all. We're in a climate change desert right now as far as what we're thinking and talking about, even though we've had Hurricanes Michael and Maria and Florence and the wildfires and so forth and so on. We, we just, it's not a, a commercial pol political item. That can't take place. That's fatal. We cannot have the earth not the subject. That's, that's impossible. It is, it is the life and death issue of our time. I'd like to talk about taking the idea of a national ritual to what we've been doing here in New York, we've been going to national monuments, the Trump Tower, Statue of Liberty, and just this week we went to the 9-11 Memorial. And there we were, apparently the first uh, performance protesters to ever hold forth at the uh, square sunken uh, waterfalls of, of Ground Zero. And people were astonished, and we were astonished. We thought we'd be arrested for in 30 seconds, and they let us go because they couldn't figure out what to do with us. None of the police could figure out what jurisdiction we were in. Nobody had challenged them that way. And our 35-foot-long banner with four-foot-tall letters read, um, it read, Honor the dead, open the border. Tying together, of course, the murders of the 3,000 people. We held up the banner over their names on the corner of one of the great sunken cubes uh, at the memorial, tying those deaths uh, to the deaths of, um, that are taking place on the border, the detentions, 
the uh, children in the concentration camps, uh, the drownings, the shootings, and the, the uh, New York, uh, and I think national office of the Border Patrol is in the Freedom Tower, just a few feet away from us. So we, we were aware of that. We faced their office. If they could see as far as down there, uh, with their binoculars perhaps, there we were. So we were bringing to a place that is just a horse race, a new kind of intelligence, a new kind of compassion. We were raising an issue that just hasn't been made public there. So we were going to a deadened place. It's 17 years, 18 years since 9-11 took place, and we were bringing meaning to a place that had become meaningless. Ever since 9-11, we have been at war, and permanent war is now normalized in the United States. It's not something we're talking about in this election. So going to those deadened places, surprising people with meaning, bringing meaning to them, through singing and chanting and a kind of secular preaching, we believe that kind of radicalism is necessary in our, in our physical landscape. And we urge activists to do surprising things. Be shocking. Wake people up. We are consumers now, much deeper in this hypnosis than we realize. Because what we're consuming, those products, those products are designed to persuade us that we're awake in a democracy, in this freedom, in this United States. We're not. Amen? Let's wake up. Let's shock our fellow citizens, our fellow residents. One of the things we said again and again at the 9-11 memorial, many of the people in, many of the people in the towers were foreign-born. Many of them were undocumented. Earth everyone. Until we meet again, this is the Church of Stop Shopping. I'm Reverend Billy. Stay in touch with us. Talk with us. Reach out to us. Our website is revbilly.com. Earth Hallelujah.